0: asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, Death of a loved one, career changes, and of course retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and/or markets on this. show, That past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. Thanks for joining us, everybody. My guest this morning is a recurring guest. I think you've been on the show several times now. Uh, It's Jeremy Devaney with Fairway Mortgage. Good morning. How are you?
2: Good morning, Alyssa. Thanks for having us on again. Always a pleasure joining you.
1: Thank you for being here. We always have great conversations and we're on the same page about a lot of things. So I I always enjoy your company on the show. Um, um, so topic of today's show, we decided to go to borrow or not to borrow. That is the question. So uh, Jeremy is in uh, lending, uh, financing for personal, uh, personal financing, Do I have personal lending. Is that what I call it? Res-
2: residential mortgages. Thank so you. If, you, if you own a home or you're buying a home, it's the, the debt that you'd use to to own that home.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you. Um, so we, one of the things, you know, we could talk all about interest rates and what's going on in the market now and uh, we and, and maybe we'll touch on a lot of those things as we go today, but we I really wanted to get into this discussion, and I think we could spend a good amount of time on it, is just like sort I guess it really is surrounding the balance between the amount of assets you have and you focus on accumulating, and the amount of debt you have and focus on reducing. And so it's a balancing act for everybody, and and you know, everyone's situation is different, et cetera, et cetera. But Just, I think that a lot of people will appreciate this conversation surrounding like, what do I focus on at what point in my life, right? What's more important? Is it more important to build assets? Is it more important to reduce debt? Um, How do I balance it? it, you know, and all those things. So I wanted to talk about that today um and get your perspective of course and and your, in yours and in yours and mine might sometimes be different and that's okay but well, i wanted to talk
2: about it a lot differently <laughs> i'm
1: sure oh absolutely i 100 i 100% know that we will well not on everything you know i think we'll again i think we'll be on the same page about a lot of things but I wanted to approach it, like discuss it at different stages in life and different circumstances and all that stuff. So, so today is to borrow or not to borrow. That is the question. And um, I just wanted to sort of start the show by giving some background, I guess. Um, yeah. and, and before we get into like certain life situations and sort of analyzing that, you know, I love to do uh, case studies, right? you like, mm-hmm. you know, throw out different um, hypothetical people or couples and and, uh, and go from there. I, I love to do that. But before we get there, I just wanted to, I guess, just have the background discussion. Great. And, and yeah. so really it's, um, you know, I'm sure you get asked all the time, you know, what should I have for a down payment, right? What, what's the <laughs> ideal down payment? What's, um, you know, h- how much should I be saving towards my down payment? Um, I have all this cash. How much should I put down or should I invest some of it, right? Do you get this question all the time?
2: It, it's usually one, one of the very first starting points in the conversations I have with my clients. And When we look at this for clients that are entering the purchase market, it really is tied to where you are in life and what your goals are and, and what the assets that you have at your disposal are and how you can make those assets work best for you to meet those goals. So there's quite a balancing act when there's limited assets and, and, you know, there's a ton of different possibilities when there's a lot of assets. So it, you know, it really comes down to managing risk and and focusing in on goals and using what resources we can to make those goals happen.
1: Yeah. And of course everyone's situation is different. And that's why I did want to get into some like case study type stuff today and talk about some hypothetical or maybe some, you know, real life situations of clients that we have without names, of course. Um, so I, in order to like set the stage for the discussion, we need to talk about historical, uh, market returns and historical interest rates, because the discussion regarding, um, you know, what's better for me, is it better for me to focus, you know, use my, what I would call discretionary cash flow. If, if someone has, I guess, let me back up a step, a step. If someone has, um, extra money every month to do something with, right? They're already paying their mortgage, for example. They're already putting money in their 401k. They're, you know, if they have kids, maybe they're already tucking some money away for college. If they're already like checking off all those other boxes and they have some extra money every month, um, you know, the the one of the biggest questions is, well, what should I do with it? And, and yeah. you know, and uh, my mind would first go to, well, save more and build your assets, uh, mm-hmm. or uh, pay pay down your debt faster. And it's, of course, it depends on what types of debts there are and all that stuff. But for today's purposes, let's just assume it's debt on like a primary residence, right? So it's a mortgage. Maybe it's a home equity line. Um. So the 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 way that we the way that I would approach that is it really depends on okay, well, where are you in life and and what is the potential. Um, what good will it do you to invest your money in terms of um, what's the potential rate of return, right? It, right, and, it, right. and it's it, you know if someone's going to save their extra money in cash in the bank versus someone who's going to save their extra money and invest it somewhere, that's also different, especially right now where cash in the bank isn't earning anything, right? Completely, yeah. And then the, on the other side is, well, what's the interest rate on your debt? And is it a fixed debt or is it a variable loan? Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have to, that's where I'm assuming that's, that's also where you would start, right. To, to analyze there's, yeah. this. There's,
2: there's really a cost benefit analysis that you have to jump through, right. And you want to look at what the client's situation is. Do, do they have the resources that they need to meet their debt obligations today? Can, can they keep their heads above water? Are they paying their taxes, putting money in all those accounts like you described, paying the mortgage every day? And then if they have extra, you're, you're asking, where does it go? And, and so really at, at that point, if you already own your home, what we're looking at many times, Alyssa is... Are there additional costs around owning that home that we can reduce first? So were you a low money-down buyer when you originally bought and you have PMI or some other factor in there? Did you have a high interest rate when you started the mortgage? Mm. Is there an opportunity to really reduce significantly your carry costs by adding a little bit more to your debt pay down? You know, set aside that that option. If your cash flow is good, you might not need to realize savings to meet your other goals. So it it might benefit you more to, to pop that money into the market and get return. When you can borrow money in the low threes today, if the market's returning, I'm sure we're going to get there in a couple of minutes, but you know, market's returning eight, eight, 10, 12% average long-term returns. You you can pick up five points just by, by not paying down that debt, you know? Yeah. So it's really a conversation is, is where I like to start about what are your goals? What's your risk tolerance? You know, reducing debt on your home is reducing risk. And, and when we use that in your world, the analogy I like to use the investment world is if, if you're buying stocks versus buying options, right? When, when you buy an option, you only have to put down a little bit of money to control this huge portion uh, of an asset. And so having a mortgage is very similar. You take on a lot of leverage, you, you put in a little bit of money, but you get the benefit of having this huge, huge asset. And, and there's no requirement that you pay it down faster. You still get the benefit of it. You still get all the yep. upside. Of it. Yep. By reducing the debt, oftentimes what I see is people are, are misaligning the idea that you're taking a, a dollar of cash and you're investing it in the property Where in reality, you don't need to invest anymore to get the upside.
0: Right. Right. The real estate appreciation. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You're taking a dollar of cash and you're moving it from your checking account to extinguish a dollar of liability that doesn't get any return.
1: And your property doesn't grow more because you paid down your debt more. It's still real estate appreciation still is what it is, no matter what the balance of your debt is. Right. Yeah. That's a fair point. Right.
2: You already control the asset. So it, it really the cash flow portion of it is where I see a lot of people able to really crystallize and lock their heads around the idea of, of paying down the debt. If you need to improve your cash flow, real easy, the smaller your loan, the 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 smaller your monthly payment. So if cash flow is something that you're looking to optimize, sometimes going there helps. You have people, we'll talk about it later on. You have people that are entering retirement on a fixed income. Sometimes we know it's just not going to work the way that they're set up right now. They've got too much of a mortgage and not enough cash coming in. So we have to position that for where you are in your life cycle. Like you said, these uh, conversations we're going to have around different age groups here, I think will help people understand a little bit of the nuances.
1: Yeah. So, you brought up a good point, like part of the disc a, a large part of the discussion involves the difference between potential earnings in in an investment and the debt that you carry on the property. Yeah. So I I went back and I did some um, research on like what the S&P 500 has returned in the last several years. Sure. Now, right now, we're in this crazy good situation where the markets have been really good, especially mm-hmm. the U.S. market like the S&P 500 has been phenomenal in recent years. And interest rates have been incredibly low for a right. while, like right now, right. particularly low. But they've been pretty low for a long time, like a decade or more. Right. right? Yeah. So it's been the conversation has been um I don't know, maybe the, or maybe the decision has been a little, I, well, I guess people have leaned more toward investing this, their discretionary money or their surplus cash flow probably mm-hmm. in the last 10 years than, than maybe historically, right? Because markets have been so yeah. strong and interest rates have been so low. So that's an easier decision because like the last the, the 10 year average return for the S&P 500, is sixteen point two percent per year. Yeah. It, it, I, I'm, I'm going to go further because it's because it's uh, that's a big number compared to what it, the longer term average has been. Yeah, it's, so the S&P's, it's like sixteen percent per year over ten years. Mm-hmm. Over twenty years, it's about nine and a half percent per year. Thirty years out, ten and a half percent per year. Forty years out, about twelve percent per year. And I went out, did I go out 50? Yeah, 50 years out, 11% per year. And then I actually went 60 years out and that's about 10% per year. So right. really long-term average returns for the US market as, as I'm defining today by the S&P 500 is like 10 to 12% per year. But the last 10 years, it's been over 16% per year. And the last three years, it's been 19% per year. So it's been sure. incredibly yeah. like overachieving in the last few years, but really in the last decade. But I just think it's important for people to know that that's a pretty big difference from it. It's, it's a overachieving its long-term average by a fair amount. And I don't necessarily think that's sustainable for a long time. Like, I don't know that the next 20 years on average, we're going to see 16% per year again, right? That, so yeah, I would-, I
2: would- I would really agree with you. So if we step back and we just look at what happened at the macro level during that same time period, what you're talking about is the transition coming out of your time frame's almost right. So before we went into the crash of 08,
0: mm-hmm.
2: interest rates were in the low to mid sixes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so as a function of trying to help the economy recover, we've had this like... If, this, this low interest rate environment that's abnormal. Yeah. Long, long-term interest rates, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, long-term rates, mid 7s Oh,
1: is that right? I was wondering what the number was. I couldn't so find bad. that. Mid-seven? <laughs> is that like a like a 100-year average or like a 70-year average? 30-year average. Oh, 30-year because that captures part of the... Oh, that doesn't capture the 80s, but it captures you know, like it this...
2: Yeah, it's the '90s, so it's okay. it's really interesting. And if you go back to the '80s, it's it's even higher. Yeah. If, yeah, So the the curve is really interesting to look at over the long term because yeah, what, what's happened is we've basically gone into a very low interest rate environment from a less uh, less stable, less controlled, higher interest rate environment right around the 2008 timeframe, and okay. so. When you talk to your father and I talk to my father and, you know, you go out and speak to people about the early 1980s and interest rates of 18 percent to buy a house. Yeah. You know, time times were very different as a as a percentage of their income, though, affordability hasn't really changed.
1: Oh, okay. I was actually thinking you were going to say prices relative to incomes have gone up.
2: No, the so we're it actually, the Yeah, it, it's just about the same. And okay. actually there's some interesting dynamics that have happened more recently in the last few months that are, are continuing to improve the affordable affordability ratio. But before we hop there, some, some other ideas to just keep in mind, you know, personal savings rates have been at all times high, highs during COVID. Yeah. So yeah. the last two years I'd say is abnormal, right? The yeah. government trying to stimulate the economy. Uh, consumer debt service payments as a percentage of disposable personal income near all time lows.
1: So, so Sorry, say that again. Disposable income?
2: Consumer debt service payments as a percentage of disposable personal income. So what you're measuring oh, is okay. credit card debt. How, yeah. how much credit card debt is, is the household carrying? And it's so- Relative to its income. Nearly delevered. De- Oh, good. And savings is on an all-time high. Yeah. And the government's stimulating the economy like crazy. So really where it gets interesting for conversations in financial planning is this idea of the risk curve, right? We talked about it in business school all the time. But when there's very little resources, you don't take a lot of risk with those resources. So if there's not a lot of cash around you're investing like very conservatively because you need to make sure you have that money. Yeah. When there's a lot of resources, you tend to go further out on that risk curve. So suddenly you've got people that are living this quote unquote YOLO lifestyle, right? They're, they're investing in Bitcoin and I mean, Bitcoin is relatively conservative. Some of like the, uh, the, the meme stocks and the meme meme coins that are out there and these people that are pushing all in into the market. So, and, and at the same time, we still have an incredible amount of cash on the sidelines. So it, it will be very interesting to see how assets perform over call it the next five years in a stable market with all that cash coming back into the market. You could see a huge, huge bubble in assets. Yeah. Just supply and demand aren't, aren't near an equilibrium.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um- Come back to the affordability affordability ratio for a minute. That's which is a little bit off topic, but I think that that's interesting. So when interest rates, let's think about like thirty and forty years ago when interest rates were really high. So the cost for like the cost to carry a mortgage Mm -hmm. was substantial because of the cost to borrow money. Is there, but you said that like the affordability ratio is about the same, but that likely means that like real estate prices relative to incomes were much lower back then, right? Because if the affordability ratio is the same, real estate prices must have been lower because cost to borrow was much higher. Like yeah. not even a little bit higher, a lot higher, right?
2: So, to borrow is a lot higher. It, yeah. And really what, what we're seeing happen now is wage inflation starting to kick in, right? People are refusing yeah. to go to work for less than X, X dollars. And we're seeing... You you saw your retiree clients get a huge bump in their social security income this year, right? Yeah, yeah. What well, what was the jump? It was the largest single single year increase.
1: I don't know if I saw the exact number. Was it?
2: it I don't know. It, was it seven percent or
1: something? I don't. I don't know if I. No,
2: know the I believe. Pull it was, real quick while we're talking, but I believe it was like three point six percent. I thought it was uh, higher than that. Okay. So, it, it, but really, we're going to start to see people's incomes increase because in order to keep Firms staffed where they need to be from top to bottom. We we see this all the time around town, right? All the help wanted signs, yeah. all the half, half staffed businesses, yeah. businesses that are still operating at like 80% because of COVID. As they go back to full employment in, in those jobs to get people off the bench, they're going to have to pay them significantly more. But here's right. the kicker all these firms have tons more money because the government's pushed more money out to them so it you know there there's a lot of cash around it will get spent we'll see inflation across uh, across the asset base in my opinion and, and at the same time your affordability shouldn't change that much
1: it uh, remains to be seen though regarding prices of real estate though like prices So if the affordability, affordability ratio didn't much change in the last 30 and 40 years, Mm -hmm. because in real estate, the, the appreciation in real estate has outpaced inflation by, I don't know what, one or two percentage points per year on average or something. So it makes sense.
2: Typically, Massachusetts average is about five, five percent. So it's beat inflation
1: by two, two and a half percent per year. Right. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense that prices of homes are more expensive now relative to income than like 30 and 40 years ago but the cost to carry the debt is is significantly lower cuz interest rates are in the 2s or in the 3s now right right but remains to but even if we continue to have these really low interest rates remains to be seen if afford that affordability affordability ratio keeps going if that increases from here. And it could be quite substantial because we've seen a huge jump in the price of homes in the last, what, 12, 18 months. I mean, like 30 percent or something crazy. Right. I mean, the numbers are
2: it's been pretty wild and particularly eastern Massachusetts. You know, we've got a unique circumstance in New England and a lot of the coastal states have a similar issue where we just don't have a lot of buildable land. Uh, New England's particularly bad. Um, I, I don't think it's a, a unique circumstance to property owners. If you look at the rental situation in, in Boston, in in particular, we had a housing crisis prior to COVID, and, and now we're seeing a lot of folks start to move back to the city. The city's becoming vibrant again, and, and you know, rental rates are starting to kick in. The the uh, eviction moratoriums are all over, so rents can go up. And there's a lot of landlords out there that probably need to make up a couple of bucks because yeah. they, they weren't getting rent during COVID. So yeah. those rent- so at, your housing costs are going to go up, right? Yeah. It, your wages should be going up at, in line with GDP or better. Um, so it, I think everything kind of moves in tandem, whether it's stutter step, whether there's a lead lag, we're probably in a little bit of lag right now on the wage side. yeah. But we're seeing unemployment at, at historical lows again, like it's coming back in. We're seeing participation rates way down, but that yeah. says we need to be paid to come back into the market.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, so that, that's where that's where I'm at with affordability is. I think the wages are going to catch up. And before you know it, there, there's going to be kind of a reckoning. There's a there's always a breather period during the winter, too. Okay. So the next three months could be particularly good. Yeah. I, w- I would throw it out there, though, that we've never been busier. We're we're we've we're seeing more new pre approvals, more people come into the market for the first time. A lot of folks that are starting to see those rent increases in the city that go, I'd rather own if I'm going to take a rent increase.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's um, interesting. You even have more buyers than we've had in the recent year, year and a half. That's crazy. Demographically,
2: it's, it's going to happen, right? There's always going to be an age group coming into the market and there's always <laughs> going to be an age group a- exiting the market. So it's, it's an in- they need housing. They need to live somewhere. And it's a choice between renting and buying.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, but one of the things I wanted to talk about was like these young buyers, right? The 20 or the early 30 somethings, right? The first time home buyers. And, you know, one of the, one of the questions I get asked, you know, sometimes I chat with like kids of clients or, or just young people that reach out looking for some advice. Um, you know one of their questions is well how much should i be saving for my down payment on my property versus how much should i be saving for retirement you know no. and, and and ideally they can save 10 12 15% per year you know to their 401k or something in that range and still tuck a bun- bunch of money in cash for their down payment but but they all want to know well how much of a down payment do i need and yeah. And that's, you know, I, I'll, I'll let you answer in a moment, but I, you know, I'm always like, well, if you can have 20% down, that's great because then you can avoid PMI.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I, I, my, my mind started going there because we were talking about affordability of properties. Right. Right. And if, and we have seen such substantial increases in the price of real estate, And so as, you know, unless we have a correction, right, you know, it remains to be seen if we have a correction and prices come down, if there's, you know, too much inventory at some point, not enough buyers. But until we see that, we're still going to have prices go up um, as the price of real estate goes up and quite substantially in in recent months and years, um, those down payments have to go up or or ideally go up. To keep up with the price of real estate, right, right, and so, and I'm just where I'm worried about these young uh, twenty and thirty somethings because what is their ability to build that cash? Are are they are they able to outsave appreciation on a four to six hundred thousand dollar property? Right. And, and, and we know that six hundred thousand doesn't go all that far in this area of the world anymore, at least right now. Right. And remains again, remains to be seen if that continues.
2: Yeah. Um, so I, I think it really comes down to the, that cash flow dynamic again. And if we're looking at the affordability, you know, if, if folks are, are on average spending spending between 20 and 30 percent of, of their gross monthly income on housing, not just owner, owning, but on housing, right? You're either a rental or an ownership situation. Mm-hmm. Th- then you should have enough money to fill those other buckets. If you're spending twenty 25% on housing, 25% on taxes, then you have 50% of your gross monthly income to live on. And, and so it's really gonna start to hinge around that income in, in that um, wage inflation situation we were just talking about. The, that stutter step, that lead lag. So right now, affordability is probably a little bit more crimped, but wages are starting to come up, and that's going to keep keep pace with that at some point. Um, and at some point, there will be a softening in, in the real estate market. We've only seen one notable time period in, in history where, excuse me, in U.S. US um, recorded real estate history where where prices went down. And, and that, that was, you know, the 08 timeframe that, yeah. that, live through and I think make, makes us a little bit more cautious uh, about ownership because we've seen equity decline.
1: Yeah. All I was ahead. just going to say, hold, hold that thought. We need to take a break, but I I yeah. do want to kind of continue on that because I think that's a really important point. We're going to take a break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by Jeremy Devaney, a loan officer with Fairway Mortgage. And we're just taking a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Alyssa Reed with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Your investment strategy should largely be determined by the amount of time you have Before needing the money. If you are aggressively invested, time is your friend when it comes to your portfolio recovering from this scary stock market. If you need your invested money soon, it should have been conservative to begin with. If you're not sure how your money is invested, I'd be happy to offer my opinion. 781 834 2010. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Joined this morning by frequent, well, I guess relatively frequent guests um, and one of my friends and colleagues on the Chamber of Commerce, uh, Jeremy Devaney, who's a loan officer with Fairway Mortgage. Good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Do you want to give out your contact info, your website or anything like that? Is it Jeremy Devaney, devaneymortgage.com?
2: Devaneymortgage.com or 781-680-5626. You can call or text that number if you need any information on on your financing your home, refinancing your home, looking to buy and want to find out how to win in this crazy market. Oh, God. Give me, give me a shout.
1: That's actually a great question. Can, let's get right into that. Can we win in this market without 100% cash
0: down?
2: <laughs> well, it, it ties into where uh, we left off before the commercial. You were asking yeah. about down payments. and So, you know, it, it's in our minds oh. as folks that are, are sort of in this midlife phase, in having lived through the the 08 downturn, I I think a lot of our cohorts probably biased to be lower risk. And, And so as a default, we want bigger down payments so that we don't have this large amount of debt and we don't take on any additional risk, right? Yeah. Younger folks that haven't lived through that might not have that preconceived notion. I remember, you know, talking to folks that had lived through stagnation in the 70s or like mm-hmm. my grandparents in the depression or whatever it might've been. And they had very different psychological approaches to, to using money. And so- there's that one issue is just sort of the psychological comfort risk tolerance conversation. But then the other side is, listen, if you're trying to buy a house right now, you don't need much money to get into the market. FHA will give you a three and a half percent down mortgage. Yeah. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, first time home buyers, 3% down. If, if you've owned a home before 5% down and, and that takes you, you know, you could, you could buy a $700,000 house. Uh and so those programs exist. Uh Mass Mass Housing ha- has a zero percent down program where they actually give you a second mortgage for up to twenty thousand bucks at one one percent or two percent, depending on your qualifications. So you could technically go out and put down your three percent down or your five percent down using only Mass Housing's down payment assistance program. Hmm so there's 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 all sorts of parameters around that don't think everybody can walk in and qualify for that money it's very targeted you know the it it was interesting hearing you talk through the idea that certain borrowers might not be able to access the market because of the, the, their financial situation. Mass housing is one of those programs that's created to bring in marginal buyers that not, not, not as a, uh, a, a, as a stigma, but as something to give people a hand up, right? We, we want people to be able to access the market and be able to put people into affordable homes. And sometimes they don't have those assets on their own. And mm. so it's targeted at folks that have credit scores above six eighty. It's targeted at folks that have limited means of income. So there's an income cap on on certain of those programs.
1: Oh, interesting, okay. Um, so but unfortunately, in today's market, there's there's a difference between qualifying for a loan and purchasing the home, right? It's just such a competitive. Market still in terms of the amount yeah. of people with huge down payments or just cash buyers. Right, there's so, a lot.
2: Of, there's a lot of people that qualify for the Olympics, but not not everybody gets the gold medal. Right? Uh, <laughs> so it's silver.
1: Are they getting the silver? Are they getting that other house? In, in that they estate,
2: <laughs> yeah. In real estate, you don't want the silver medal, right? You don't fine. want a
1: house that you don't really want.
2: <laughs> so right. It, in this market, it, it's been kind of wild. We do have loan programs that enable you to compete with cash. Um, there's different strategies that we can use if you have lots of assets to to really position you. There's things that I've seen in the market that are really pretty pretty wild. I mean, con- normal times conservative banking you wouldn't necessarily see it, but. There's folks that will take margin loan against their investment accounts because yeah. it's, it's liquid money, and they'll go and buy the house in cash, and they'll put in a mortgage on it later.
1: Yeah, again, but, it's it's been and again, it's been kind of easy to do that lately because we haven't, other than uh, for a little blip earlier last year, it's markets have been strong. People haven't had to worry about margin calls, right, where the value of their investment yeah. drops below what they what they borrowed from it, and, and that type of stuff. It's been relatively. Easy to do that, but just still lots to consider regarding if that makes sense. But yeah, so it's still super competitive out there, huh? In terms of who's
2: super who's, super uh, offers are being
1: accepted. Yeah,
2: you know, you've got to work really hard to find find a property. If you're listen in, in Eastern Massachusetts right now, I'd say if you're shopping. Below a 1.2 million dollar home, all, all the way down the spectrum: 1.2, one, seven hundred, five hundred thousand, three hundred fifty thousand. I mean, all those markets in eastern Massachusetts, anything east of east of Worcester, you're you're going to be in a knife fight every weekend.
1: It's unfortunate now that you know that. Well, first of all, it's great that people can qualify for mortgages, right? With a small down payment because not every 20 and 30 something can save 20% down, right? Especially in this area of the world, you know, on a half a million dollar house, that's a hundred thousand down. That's hard to do for someone, you know, for someone young or even a young couple, unless there's help from family, et cetera, um, or they're very high income earners at a young age. Um, I think it's unfortunate now that because this market is so competitive and and these buyers that might have their 5% down or whatever it is, they're now, now they're, they're forced to wait because they're not winning the bid, right? Their bids aren't winning. And so they're forced to keep waiting. And if we continue to see appreciation in the market, the, the price of the home that they want is just going up and up and up. And, and I don't, and, and probably a lot of them don't have an ability to outsave the growth on real estate. Like if someone's looking at a you know a, a five hundred thousand dollar home, let's say they have five percent down, which is twenty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But if they can't get in, and the price of real estate goes up another five percent in twelve months, for example, right? Average growth five percent on real estate. Let's say it's just average growth from here. Are they going to have? You know, so, so that, so then that's a five hundred. What is that? A five hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar house the next year. So five percent of that. Hold on. Why can't I do that in my head, Jeremy? Because I'm on air and the pressure's on. The pressure's you got on.
2: It. You got
1: it. Yeah. Okay. And that example, it's just twenty six thousand two fifty. If they're if they have a small down payment,
2: but, but if they, they have, it, there's like yeah. real world scenarios. It, yeah. it literally had this conversation on, on Friday with with uh, two young clients. He he's he's self employed. He owns his own business. He started his own thing, and it's doing really well. They're taking investments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And. and but he's not yet at a point in the business where they're showing profitability, so we can't use his income because on the books to the IRS and to us, he's not he, making any money. Yeah. Not making any money. Yeah, and, and so that's really successful. She's a W two wage earner. She goes into an office or home office right now and and earns a paycheck every week. And her income's really easy to to underwrite, and it it's solid and it's there. And they had their down payment. We, we were pre-approved beginning of this year back in March at 550. And I had already been working with these guys for six months. Um, they went through the summer, made some offers. They're pretty conservative folks. So they're, they're not looking to be in a, a, a really big competitive situation and, and, you know, come out guns blazing to win their house. They've had a warm up to this idea that they're going to be in competition and it's taken them some time that, that, that 18 month learning curve has just cost them exactly as you described, because now we're strategizing, what are you going to do in spring of 2022? And and we're looking at a pre-approval for them of north of seven hundred thousand from five fifty.
1: Yeah, and I guess like where I was going with that math, which I I was I was approaching that the wrong way, but where my mind was going was like if you're if you can afford a five hundred thousand dollar house, right, and you're going to put five percent down, for example, you're taking a mortgage of four seventy five. So you've done the calculations, and that works with your budget. I I hope hopefully anyway, right? Assuming Mm -hmm. you've made sure that that works with your budget. If you can't get into the market and we continue to see this appreciation, and let's say it's just that average of 5% and nothing more, then your 5% down doesn't have to be much more. And likely they could accumulate that. In that example, it's with 1200 bucks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but, but then their mortgage is 25, $24,000 higher because that, yeah. The price of the house, right? So, so as time goes on, it depends on what happens with real estate appreciation. But, 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 I my, my point is like not many, especially young people, can outsave that. Especially right now, where now our like affordability or or prices relative to incomes is really high. I know we are starting to see some wage growth that we haven't really seen in a decade. I still don't think it's anywhere near inflation on real estate. And again, it remains to be seen if we, if we see that come down, but I just, I think that's incredibly sad, honestly.
2: I agree. You know, the, the, the analogy really is in in you and I do do a bit of exercise fitness outside of uh, the finance stuff that we do every day. And, you know, you, you hit plateaus, right. And sometimes in order to reach that next goal, that next achievement, it takes a lot of extra work. It takes being really, really hyper diligent about your eating and how many times you're getting to the gym and your recovery and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. And the
2: same thing I I think is really, really true in finance. A lot of times when I talk to people, young people in their working, they work a normal 40, 40 hour a week job. Some of them will have two jobs. But it's not, it's not frequent that I talk to young people in their 20s that they have serious side hustles. Um, I don't I'm a believer that you've got you've got 24 hours in a day. And if you really want to take that next step and reach your financial goals, there's likely other things that you can do to start padding that savings account, whether it's going out and driving Uber at night or, you know, waiting tables or I, I mean, I, bar, I bartended, weighted tables, bar backed, you know, rode rickshaw. Like you, you, <laughs> you did. You drove a rickshaw. Oh, yeah. I, 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 uh. When I started financial advisory, I, I uh. barely afford my rent, and so I, I, I wound up work, working nights, peddling a pedicab around Charleston, South Carolina. Oh my and, god. And, but that's the way I made ends
0: meet. Yeah.
2: And, and so the you've, you've got to be willing to invest in yourself. And sometimes that means working extra hours if the cash isn't there. And so, you know, you get creative about it. This, this is really the gig economy makes it so easy.
1: That's true. Yeah, that's true.
2: You, You could go and do consulting hours online and throw yourself up on any of the freelance sites. If you're a marketer or if you're, you know, good, good with social media, you there's so many things you can do these days.
1: Yeah. So coming back to like sort of our where we started the conversation today, which is sort of this conversation surrounding is it, you know, do I focus on debt reduction or building my down payment if if you're not yet in your home mm. or do I focus on investing my money? Mm. Um, and again, you know returns in the U S market have been extraordinary international markets over many time frames have been very good as well. You know, diversified portfolio uh, portfolios with stock exposure have done very well in the last decade. Um, Maybe not always the case, but, but it's easy for people now to want to invest, especially now that there's no yield on cash. Right. So, so if I had a nickel for every time somebody asked me, I have this cash in the bank. Can I do something with it? But I might need it like in a year or two or three because right. for whatever reason, right? <laughs> um, and people are just, people have a high tolerance for risk right now. Um, it, it, and that's what happened. Exactly happens. where we
2: started, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that idea of there's so much cash in the economy right now mm-hmm. that it, it, if you go back and read, read uh, the like pension fund management teams and mutual fund management teams, are really starting to think outside the box about assets. You had universities back back really around the same time timeframe uh, that, that we had the crash starting to move way out on, on the curve as well, mm-hmm. making private equity investments, direct venture investments. Like those are way outside the box for some of these really, really conservative institutional money managers. Yeah,
1: because conservative hasn't earned them much money. They can in ten years. Yeah, they can't. They can't just, support their obligations.
2: California, California it, employees' pension union, Calpers, right? Lar- largest investor out there, and, and they can't fund their yeah. liabilities if they go out and they invest in treasuries. It just doesn't work. No. So, in just like your clients now, people are going, "Hey, well, I can borrow at three, and I can invest and earn." S and P five hundred, pretty broad index. I can earn twelve percent. Yeah, I know.
1: I know, and I and I do always caution them. It's just it's not always that easy. It, it it you know hindsight is twenty twenty. It has been pretty easy to earn money owning stocks in in the last several years but if you have a short time horizon anything can happen in the short term in, in the market in the stock market right very short term returns in the markets very unpredictable longer term returns in the markets become more predictable right so if you have 8 or totally. 10 or 12 years you know these are fairly predictable uh returns over long periods of time and when you're an aggressive investor with with stocks in your portfolio you need to have time because anything can happen in the short term so yeah of course if you have you know, money in the bank earmarked for a down payment on a property, for example. Yeah. It sounds really nice to earn 10 or 15 or 20% on that and grow right. your down payment. Like, like we were just talking about, it's just, it's very risky and it's not always that easy. And that money might not, the capital might not be there of the same value when such you an, need it. Yeah. Such
2: an important point. It, it, earlier this summer, I had a couple of clients that that were very heavily invested invested in crypto, um, and they were very very comfortable with their positions. Um, the the market shifted earlier this summer. It's now come back and things mm-hmm. are getting better, right? Mm-hmm. But the market in crypto ha- had a bit of a shock earlier mm-hmm. this summer, and many of these clients didn't take the money off the table when it was there and put it into their savings account, even though they intended to have it for a very short term purpose. Like, like you said, they didn't have the time to recover from that, that shock. And what happened was, is they missed the entire summer market. They didn't have the the, the cash that they thought they needed for down payment. So, you know, real basic financial planning theory, right? Make make your risk match the term, that you yeah. have for performance, yeah. Um, And so, very, very straightforward ideas. And I think sometimes the pragmatism uh, in, in the basics get missed when when numbers start to get really big and people are chase, chasing return.
1: Oh yeah, and and when the numbers start to get really big, they get. Um, I don't know what the right word is, uh, optimistic or they get too comfortable or they get a little greedy and then and, and then they and, th- and yeah. then they don't or complacent. That's a good word. And um, like your client that had Bitcoin when it was doing well could have taken an opportunity to, you know, take some profits while they're there, or at least trim the position, take some profits and and probably didn't, because yeah. you, when something's going up, you just sort of extrapolate it in your mind. Like, well, it's just going to keep going up. It's already gone up 20% I'm, or a hundred percent. Right. And in an investment it, like that, it's just going to keep going up. That, right. And it's, so, so much always... about
2: managing those positions, Alyssa, like in you, in you tell me you talk, talk to your clients about it all the time, a managed money portfolio ver- versus a passive portfolio. You know, you can manage that downside a lot better because you've got an active manager managing the portfolio
0: mm-hmm. versus
2: a, a passive ETF strategy, right? Where sometimes you, you've got to endure that pain and you're, you're hoping that the long-term performance kind of outweighs the cost of an active manager.
1: Yeah. And there's, but there's downside too with active, with active management, but sure it can be mitigated with certain uh, moves and certain investments in your portfolio versus just a straight up passive strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can we segue to, I want to talk about interest rates again, we know they're super low, right? So still, right. you know, mortgages easily in the threes or below, right? On fixed mortgages, right? Totally. I just wanted to chat about ad- adjustable mortgages. And and I don't even know if they're like really a thing anymore, but they arms are. or adjustable rate mortgages, you know, I know they were common years and years ago when interest rates were higher, right? So yeah. 10, 15, 20 years ago when interest rates were higher and, and an adjustable rate mortgage was a more attractive, right? Because a lower <laughs> interest rate locked in for Seven years, and then and then you go from there. But are they still being? Are are they still being? are there, still a thing. Yeah, yeah
2: they're still a thing. thing. Um, and, and so that we'll def- differentiate for a quick second. There's a difference between a first mortgage, adjustable mortgage, and, and you know a second okay. like a home equity line or something that's more like consumer debt than, than it is a, a first mortgage. Usually, what we're seeing on on first mortgages and, and is a fixed period of time where you have a fixed rate, either, 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 you know, three years, five years, seven years, ten years, and it's a fixed period, and then you have a floating period thereafter where the rate floats and adjusts. So that would be a typical adjustable rate mortgage. We call them ARMs. Um, and so what you do is. It, it, this whole conversation we've been having is really about mapping goals and aligning risk with, with your time horizon and your goals. Yeah. When you have an adjustable rate mortgage, a lot of the conversation is around how long are you going to be in your house? If if you have somebody that's buying a a condo in, in the city and coming for college only, and they're just looking for housing and they're going to be here for four years and they plan on moving on afterwards. Why am, why am I going to, but why am I going to use a tool that's intended for 30 years? Um, it's it's not the appropriate tool in some situations. There's additional risks and there's additional underwriting uh, considerations when we look at these adjustable rate mortgages. Typically, you're going to need more cash down. Typically, you're going to need reserves. Reserves is just extra cash that you have in the bank that if something were to happen, you still can cover the mortgage.
1: Oh, okay. Like when the term is up.
2: Yeah, well, what happens is that I think coming out of 08 and some some of the uh, shock that we saw in the product structure in 08, there's a conservatism to make sure that if the payment adjusts higher, that that the clients can still afford the mortgages. Um, a lot of our regulations changed after 08. So now we, we have in a a guideline to have an ability to repay standard for all clients. Um, that wasn't in fact, a thing back in 08, you didn't have to measure a client's ability to repay, improve a client's ability to repay. Oh my it, gosh. So now it's hence regular, all,
1: hence the problems that we ran it, into at that time. Yeah.
2: Good banking would tell you, you want to make sure they have an ability to repay, but it, yeah. it wasn't a, a regulatory procedure. So um Now, now we have to look at these things. So when you look at an adjustable mortgage, it's typically a tool for, for higher net worth clients or clients that have a very defined timeline.
1: Interesting. I never thought about it like that. Okay. So they are utilized, but not all that frequently. And, and are we still, it's interesting to me to hear about like these short term people that might purchase a property for the very short term, like four years through the college years. It's, I don't know, a little bit baffling to me that people go into it like that, knowing full well that it might. Well, I don't know. I guess it's been relatively easy. I get, yeah, in recent years to earn money on real estate as well, but not all through history.
2: So here's the the situation for your clients to kind of consider is if you are, if you're a mom and dad and you got a kid going off to college, and you can buy a second home, a condo in, in the city and say say you're from Northern Virginia or you're out in the Midwest and you've got a couple extra bucks, you've done well for yourself, but your kid's going to Boston and, and you could either put them in housing. And in Boston, housing is incredibly difficult for the universities and incredibly expensive. Yeah. You buy a condo and you, you wind up with a couple extra bedrooms. So mom and dad can come visit and you own the property. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, it, it's appreciating over time maybe it makes sense for the right client where they're not just dumping it into paying for student housing. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's, it's usually much more defined situations. We see a lot of grad students doing it, you know, especially folks that are transitioning from careers and coming back to MIT or Harvard or BU for business school and medical, medical school.
1: So in the last like, I guess 30 or probably 40 years as interest rates have come down since the eighties and haven't really, I mean, it's been a little, uh, it, it hasn't been a straight downward trajectory on, on interest rates since the eighties, but it's, it's trended way yes. down. Yes. So adjustable rate mortgages and home equity lines of credit, we could, we could, we could say the same thing there. they are, um, in the last 30 or 40 years, there hasn't been a whole lot of risk there. I mean, you don't know when you go into it, what's going to happen with interest rates, but people have probably made out pretty well taking that risk in the last 30 or 40 years anyway.
2: The one time period that's the outlier is 08. Uh, And so what we see happening with, with the second mortgage and the adjustable rates. So if you had a HELOC or a home equity line of credit in the, in the eighties, that's, that's a variable line that you borrow against your house. It's kind of like a credit card, but it's backed up by your, by your house. If you had one of those in 08 and you had significant money out on it, a lot of those home equity lines were closed by the bank. They can be closed at any point in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there
2: there is a lot of, uh, we had this conversation at the beginning of COVID. I was telling a lot of my clients to put home equity lines in place as backups because if you're out of work, you can't apply for one, but it's yeah. a great resource to be able to pull cash out of your house if you need it. Yeah. But the, the risk is the banks could always cut off that right. line of credit at any point in time. Right. So that's where folks have gotten bitten on adjustable rates. Back in 08, the 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 way that they were structured was very different. There, there was more, there was balloon payments. There was something called reverse amortization or negative amortization. Oh, or, your principal balance actually could grow.
1: Oh, because the minimum
2: payment was so low. Yeah, the minimum. You had interest only, interest uh, only, negative amortizing balloon payments, all structured together, and yeah. people were writing loans without without documentation or knowing that somebody was even working. So
1: yeah, but um, I mean, like other than so, I mean, you know, interest rate risk is an issue when you're talking about a variable mortgage, yes. like a ho- or a home yeah. equity line. Yeah, um, and that's something that I've talked to clients about for my entire career, and but it hasn't really been an issue in the last t- ten or twenty years, really, in terms of you know we've had we've had interest rates vary, other than the risk of the the equity line being closed, we've had interest rates vary a little bit in that period of time, but not much more than a percent or two.
2: It's, right it's in, in a long, yes.
1: yeah but that so doesn't mean it
2: people but, are being conservative these days when, but like when no so I know but but, but, but
1: but my point is like people have been spoiled in yes. the, in the last 10 20 or so years by these low interest rates. And people have been very comfortable carrying balances on home equity lines, for example. And I see some high balances being car- carried on those loans. Mm-hmm. And, and I think just it's unfortunate that people are so comfortable with it because interest rate risk is a real risk. We could have interest rates. I mean, if the Fed starts raising interest rates to battle inflation, I mean, we could have sure. some that there could be a big swing there, potentially, especially now that we're seeing this inflation. And and I just People people have been getting spoiled by that just like they've been spoiled by by financial market returns in the last three, five, 10 years. And so 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 I I just think that that's scary. There's a lot of things swirling there that are making people too comfortable with risk. And it's, you know, of course we can have these conversations about the risks associated with it, but it doesn't matter. Everyone's comfortable with these risks right now because look what's happened. If you
2: sit around the other side of the radio and you're uncomfortable with the risk, if you have money, on a home equity line, one of the things we are seeing is because people's homes have appreciated so much in value is there's a huge opportunity to take your home equity line right now, consolidate it with your first mortgage, and, and refi and take that interest rate risk off the table. Yeah, and yeah.
1: let's we got to take a quick break, but let's let's talk about that um, when we come back from the break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. I'm joined this morning by Jeremy Devaney with Fairy Mortgage. You can find out more about him at devaneymortgage.com. Devaney dot com. That's D E V A N E Y Mortgage dot com. Uh, we're just taking a quick break, and we'll be right back.